So, as Jim said, my name is Ed Schmidt, and I am a partner here at Oasis, where we seek to uh, seek God, belong to one another in community, and serve God. And I just want to take a minute and talk about that word partner, because we use the term partner to identify ourselves as committed or affiliated to Oasis rather than the word member that a lot of churches will use. And we do that very intentionally because when we think of member, we think of things like Costco and country clubs where you have privilege and where you're sort of a consumer. The church, we think, is a place where you're partnering. You're committed to work, to engage, and really to belong. So with that, if you consider Oasis your church home or you think you may want to consider Oasis your church home but you're not currently a partner, please talk to Dennis when he's back or seek out Mike or Jim and give that some thought because it's pretty good stuff. Just my opinion. So Gnats and Camels is the title today. It's a pretty interesting title for a sermon. Rich had to give me a little poke for that, Rich Clark, which I appreciate. Um, but before I get into that and help sort out why I called the sermon that, I actually want to take a quick poll because it's got to do with something that sort of influenced me and impacted me. So please do a show of hands and really actually do it. How many of you that are in the house today uh, have gone through or are currently going through David Platt's study, Radical. So there's a dozen or so folks. Um, I think right now we're getting toward the middle of our second round of doing what we call small groups here at Oasis. And in each of these rounds, we have uh, had at least one of the small groups, there's several, that have studied Radical. Uh, and it's really quite a study. I'm going through it now, even though we're kind of sketchy on how we meet because schedules blew up. But that's the story for coffee. Um, it's a really interesting experience. Um, it's really fun, believe me. It's really easy, and it's social. Uh, all we do is we get together once a week, we watch a video, we talk about the video, and then we spend about 10 or 15 minutes, five of the next seven days doing some, quote, homework, and then we get back together again the next week and do it over. So in the vein of this concept of iron sharpening iron and Christ being all, all about relationships, and then that big scary word, discipleship, it's neat. Uh, and I want to make a plug that if you're not involved with a small group, whether it's radical or something else, give it some thought and, and maybe get on board and, and join one next time we start up uh, around later in the spring. So sticking with this point about relationships and, and being social, I assume many of you folks can recall the Tom Hanks movie Castaway. This is a movie where Hanks, it starts with Hanks being involved in the crash of a FedEx plane uh, into the ocean, and he's the, the sole survivor, and he has to live for several years on a deserted island. Obviously, being a deserted island, he is the only human being on that island. His only friend and his only companion, his only relationship was with Wilson. Wilson was the volleyball that washed ashore shortly after the crash. And, and he painted a face on Wilson after he cut himself. He used blood to paint the face. And he and Wilson talked a lot. Uh, they, they had quite the, the deep relationship. Um, Hanks was fiercely loyal. He was fiercely protective. And he was fiercely dependent on Wilson. And today, I think there's a lot of castaways out there. And it's important. They're out there at our jobs. They're out there at our communities. And they're here today, right here now at Oasis. Point, uh, don't be a castaway, whether it's to a small group, making a friend, or whatever. In fact, take a moment and become aware of the castaways around you, wherever you are. Engage them. Or if you are a castaway, take a chance and engage someone. Be a friend. 
So with that preamble, uh, let's pray, because he's going to make me pray for myself, and then we'll get into gnats, camels, and the word. Father, thank you so much for assemblies like this uh, at Oasis. Thank you for all of the little seen or little known, but unbelievable numbers of people and activity that have to go on to make these local churches happen. Thank you, Father, for our pastor, for Dennis, that uh, it seems like you're carrying through uh, an icky little surgery last week. I pray that you'll bring, us, bring him back to us soon. And as for myself, uh, Lord, you know what's going on in my life and how busy and tired I am. So thank you for the focus you've given me on Matthew 23. Thank you for the whole of your scripture. Let this time be all about you and all about your will for this church and your words for this church, not about me, in Jesus' name. So there's the little tip-off. Gnats and Camels is coming out of Matthew 23. So in Matthew 23, Jesus has been on quite a bit of a roll for quite a while, and as we approach the end of Matthew's gospel, I think, my opinion, he's really in full stride. He's, he's at this point fully aware of, of who he is and what he is. Uh, this is after Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. We're into Holy Week. He's fully aware of the fact that he's soon going to die and why he's going to die and that he's going to return to the Father soon. His messages, his pronouncements, and the things he has to say during Holy Week are strong, perhaps stronger than a lot of his other messages, and I hope you all know that he could be pretty strong when he wanted to be. So in Matthew 3, Jesus is focused on the law, and he's well aware of the law. And the law is the prevailing religion, the religion of Jerusalem. It's Judaism. Uh, he's well aware of the reason that he was sent was to and is now to fulfill the law. He wants to make it clear to people, and this is important, that humans can never fully obey the law and that there needs to be a sacrificial system to make an atonement or to secure a pardon from the penalty of that law. And at this point, Jesus knows that he himself is that fulfillment of the law. He is the source of that pardon and he is the key to people's access to God going forward. And that's very true for all of us here today. In Matthew 23, he's thinking about the law and he's focused on a specific group of people, a sect, a leadership sect actually, known as the Pharisees. And if you don't know much about the Pharisees, these are sort of the, the upper crust, the aristocrats. Um, these are the holier than thou kind of guys that would, would boast and talk a lot and really lord it over, if you will, the people. But Jesus had them figured out. Jesus knew that they were no better than the people that they asserted they were better than and that they asserted that they were holier than. In fact, Jesus knew very well that the Pharisees were, in fact, um, well, they were hypocrites. They didn't just beat people down and, and make people think they were inferior. They didn't practice what they preached. They didn't practice what they demanded from other people, and they didn't practice what they imposed on other people. So if you want to put up the first verse, this is kind of how Matthew, uh, Jesus gets started in uh, Matthew 23 as he begins to, quite frankly, beat up the Pharisees. So you must be careful. Do I have the same version? Oh, God, it's good. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but, not to, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And so this kicks off a series of, of delivering seven woes upon the Pharisees. And I want to look at these woes that Jesus I'm going to say preached or delivered unto them. And we'll start with verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So Jesus is telling them, once again, that they're hypocrites, and here he's actually telling them, you're going to hell, and you're causing other people to do the same. So this message has a little bit of darkness to it. We spend a lot of time talking about heaven and the benefits and the joys and unicorns and rainbows and all that stuff. But here we're facing the fact that God is a just God and that judgment and justice require real condemnation to a real, literal hell. It can't just be all about the peaches and cream in heaven. There's got to be another side to that coin. And here he's going at that. Uh, God just can't be sort of that grandfather figure with the white flowing beard and the smile and the kindness. His character is such, and he has to be true to his character, his character is such that he's a God of justice, and justice demands judgment. So when we talk about salvation, we're not just being saved to something. We've got to remember we're being saved from something as well. Don't lose that. Thank you. So then he goes on in verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So he's not going to let go of this, and we ought not let go of the reality of hell either. So he tells them that they're hypocrites, and when they make a convert in their way, in their flavor of religion, that convert is in fact deceived and just as hell-bound as they are. But he's not done. He's got a lot more to go. So we go to 16 and 17. And he says, Woe to you, blind guides. If you say anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple or the temple that makes the gold sacred? So here he's telling them once again they're blind and they're foolish. And here he's telling them that they're focusing on the physical, the here and now, and the benefits of the house of God rather than the house of God itself and the object of the house of God, which is God himself. The focus is not or ought not to be the stuff, and it's not what we do, because we're never going to be able to do enough of the right stuff or not do enough of the wrong stuff to earn our way into heaven. If we could do that, we wouldn't need Jesus. He points out the focus is the person of God and the way we believe about him and what we do about that. But he's just getting started. In verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I love this one. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. And this is a big one. It's pretty hard to miss the point here, right? He's calling them hypocrites again. He's pointing out, you guys appear good, you appear holy, you appear righteous, and everything that you publicly display is exactly the opposite of what you really are on the inside. There's no integrity and no consistency between how they act as Pharisees and how they really are. He calls that blindness, and he offers the Pharisees then and us here today, you and me, the alternative. And that's verse 26. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. And that's how it goes for us. We simply have to be clean on the inside, our hearts, our beliefs, and our priorities. Then, and only then, will the outside of how we act and what we do and what we don't do be clean and pleasing to God. He keeps going. Verse 27. Woe to you, hypocrites of the law and Pharisees, or teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones and the dead and everything unclean. And that's sort of similar to the last one. But just to be clear that this thing about a lack of integrity or a lack of consistency is not merely how we unpack it or interpret it as humans, Jesus says in 28, in the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And yes, I'm going to associate wickedness with hell again because it's important for us to not forget there's another side of the coin. And I think we as a church, big, little, local, worldwide, need to be really careful on this point about the integrity and the consistency on what's inside matching what's outside. So then if we go on to 29 to 32, uh, he wraps up with a few longer statements, uh, but still unpleasant verses. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. And spiritually, we've got the same lineage, the same descendants as those Pharisees. So there's a message here for us too. And in fact, we have a tendency thinking about this, to compare ourselves to others and point out and find the things or the people that are worse than ourselves so we can feel better about ourselves and more worthy of our own salvation. If it's about worthiness in and of ourselves, again, that cross and the person of Jesus was for nothing. And the Pharisee story is our, our story too because for some of us more than others, we get stuck in that comparison thing and we're trying to earn our way into heaven, or we're trying to convince ourselves that we're not that bad. So happy Sunday. Maybe I should just stop there. <laughs> All right? <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll just close with a prayer, and we'll go out and eat, and everything will be great. Um, but you'll note I skipped one. Uh, there's one more. Um, I didn't go to my gnats and to my camels. So let's back up to verses 23 and 24 and spend a few minutes unpacking that, because to me, um, there's gold here. So in 23 and 24, Jesus brings in my animals. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And the first thing I want to say about that is this, uh, and I hate to say it perhaps, but... Oasis, like every other church, is a business, so we need our tithes and offerings, so don't go too crazy on this one. Um, but what Jesus is really saying here is if we give our money and our material donations, but we don't first love God and people, we're fooling ourselves, and that's important. And that's the gnat and the camel, because as we learn in the radical study, if we have clothes on our backs and food in our bellies and we came here from a nice warm house, we're rich. doesn't matter what kind of car, what the house looks like. Compared to two-thirds of the rest of the world, all of whom Jesus came uh, to die for and to live for, we're rich. So our money and our stuff and our priorities from the perspective of God, these are gnats. Jesus wants us to focus on higher priorities. Jesus wants us to focus on the camel. So what is the camel? Well, one of the most important things we can do when we're studying the Bible ourselves or preaching the word is not to look at any individual verse or story or point in a vacuum. 
If I did that today, I would have stopped, and we would have ended uh, with hell, and the sermon would have been all about condemnation and shame and guilt, and it would not have been a very happy conversation over coffee and food. We need some context, and we need to consider Jesus' drubbing of these Pharisees against the broader point of view. And remember, we have a little bit of Pharisee inside each of us too. So context means thinking about a story or a point given the bigger picture and the biblical record. The story's in the same neighborhood as what we're reading. And thank God for that, because this is not a sad, dark, ugly, you're all going to hell kind of sermon. I I don't play that. Um, Right in this neighborhood of Matthew 23, we have what we need and what I think God is trying to drive home by having Jesus do this drubbing of the Pharisees. We have the great commandment itself. Just a few lines above Matthew 23, toward the end of Matthew 22, we have verses 34 through 40. So let's take a look at that. And I'm tall, so I'm sorry in the way. Bring your Bible. Um, And thank God for that. Uh, He says in uh, 34 to 40, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In our last woe unto the Pharisees, they were distracted by the gnats, and they neglected the serious problem of the camel. The camel is their focus in their relationship with God. The camel that they swallowed was their lack of making God their number one priority. So let's focus there. Uh, We're getting into the middle of Lent. We're We're gearing up to celebrate Christ's resurrection at Easter. So let's focus there. And as we focus there, Uh, Let me just ask point blank, what are the things in your personal lives that are priorities? What about at home? What about with your family? What about at work? What about here even at the church? Are they gnats? Do they have anything at all to do with the great commandment? Are you like Tom Hanks in some ways in Castaway? How important are the relationships in engaging people, both Christian people so we can build each other up and engage, and non-Christian people so we can be God's light in that fallen world that's directly descended from those who buried the prophets and face an eternal hell. This is real, pretty heavy stuff. And the camel, the camel becomes sort of the challenge, I think, for today and as we gear up for Easter, and it gets to the point of the cross. You see, if we spent our time the rest of this Lenten season thinking about the cross and loving the Lord and loving people, we'd stop focusing on the gnats. And gnats won't hurt us. Gnats won't help us. They're just gnats. A camel, if I swallowed it, is going to hurt me. A camel, if it runs into me, is going to hurt. A camel, if I swallow it, is going to be a real problem. So it's our personal embrace and our ownership of the sin in our own lives and the price it carries and then the work of Christ on the cross that matters. It's where we receive the liberation of forgiveness, and it's where we receive alive and well, right here within us, the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit's presence and through our non-Tom Hanks castaway relationship with him, and the Spirit is a he, it's not an it, it's God, he. It's through that that we can begin to shift our focus from the gnats 
and to, uh, from the gnats to the camels. So uh, I'm going to start wrapping up, and, and I'm going to point out that this challenge of dealing with gnats and focusing on the camel comes with an opportunity. And they were just mentioned before I came up in, in many ways, get involved. But you also have the opportunity to come up after the service and do whatever business you need to do right before the cross on your knees in prayer. Or, as was said, you can come up and pray with an elder or pray with one of our strong woman prayer warriors. And this Lenten season, we also have another neat opportunity, which is to go over to the smaller cross where there's cards in the basket, and you can pick up a card out of that basket. You can fill out the card with your name. You can pull out another card with the name of another person out of the basket and then drop yours in. And when you do that, you're going to have the name of someone and someone's going to have the name of you that signifies a commitment to get to know someone, to speak to someone, to pray about someone or with someone, and to give someone else the opportunity to do the same for you. We have the opportunity for the great commandment today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that it's all about you and the work of Jesus and not us, because boy, do we fail. Father, I pray against the enemy who, who makes us think we can work our way out of this, we can behave our way out of this. Lord, uh, it's so important to understand that the opposite side of, of heaven is a real hell, and that absent Jesus Christ and the life of the Spirit within us the threat, the reality of that hell uh, is ugly. So, Father, as we flow through Lent, I pray that we'll, we'll let go of the gnats, Father, and that we'll, we'll latch onto the camel. God will cling to the cross and we'll cling to each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks.